don't you you remember when we were like really young and really idealistic mm-hmm. and we were at college and people would come up to you and go well you'll you'll change your tune about all of these things when you start to make uh, money and own things yeah. yeah and we both now own houses we both now have senior positions in various things and i don't feel like i've changed no, that I'd... much on that like I, I would quite happily give up quite a lot of what i've got if it meant that everybody else was getting a fair shake yeah. it's just Maybe it wasn't just that this is the natural cycle, and maybe it was just that these were horrible people telling us this. Well, you won't, yeah. you won't want a universal minimum wage when you're making money. It's like I, I still do. Yeah. I still very much do. I'd like. I, I would pay more taxes to get more comprehensive healthcare mm. and I'm, more comprehensive social insurance in general. And we can only hope that Boris Johnson is listening right now, and will take you personally up on that offer. Well, I mean, I'm kind of like. If I'm not going to vote Tory <laughs> in my position, which I will admit is hugely privileged compared to the vast majority of people, I, I, I'm not going to put my hand, you know, I'm not going to do that dick move and be like, I worked really hard for everything I've got. I worked hard for what I've got, but also <laughs> started with a giant <laughs> leg up. So, you know. Which brings us back to Elon Musk, really, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, up. I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric. A podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... Hit me. Are you ready? Uh, Suck it to me, brother. Okay, so this story begins under Oliver Bloody Cromwell. That's where we're starting. He's the best worst guy ever. He is. And... I could give you three words, but I think they'll throw you. <laughs> if, if this is where you tell me you love me, I'm flattered, but I am married. Yeah. And so are you, so this is really awkward. So your three words, shoddy, mm. dildo, mm. forgery. <laughs> it's my lifelong dream. Yeah. <laughs> Any idea what I'm talking about? In the time of Oliver Cromwell, um... well, it starts there, it kind of carries on through. No, but um, I hope it's got something to do with Charles II because the, one of the only things I know about him is that he was like the original playboy. Is it to do with Charles II and his playboy ways? We'll, we'll, we'll see. So, yes, I love it when I guess right and ruin the flow of things. <laughs> you haven't. Ah. So William Chaloner was born in 1650 mm-hmm. into a very, very poor family. Okay. Very poor. So poor that when the young William was apprenticed to a nail maker in Birmingham, it was seen as a step up. I don't know enough about how trades are perceived. Is nail maker like a low, low trade? I, I just, I mean, my thought on it was that that's probably not what you'd aspire to be as a young child. There's got to be a limit to the sort of artisan well, yeah. nail making business. But if if his if his dad was like literally. Like the last peasant in England, because there can't have been that many around by 1650 who were just farm labourers, can they? Well, in the 1660s, while William was learning to make nails, royalty had returned. How, wait, just sorry, how long does it take to learn to make nails? Surely it's like you pour the metal in the cast, you've made a nail, <laughs> you open the cast. <laughs> I didn't look into it, but he was still learning. He was, he was maybe, still maybe a He was pre- really slow. He was apprenticed. No, William, you don't pour the metal on the floor. It goes in the cast. How many times? It's been eight years, William. So while he was learning to make the nails, whether he was good or bad, we'll never know. (laughs) 
the royals have returned to the throne. Yeah. And that meant, of course, a significant drop in the amount of coins in circulation. What? They started spending all of the money. Oh, right, okay. And hoarding all of the money. <laughs> Who the royals did? Yeah. Specifically, the country was short of groats, which uh. were worth about 4p. <laughs> you know. So there was... We, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd had the restoration... The and, merry monarch, scandalous and poor, had come to the throne. Yes, we, we'd had that, and unfortunately, we were immediately very short of groats. Hmm. So, it's what what do you do? Make more groats? Well, the good people of Birmingham definitely thought so, and they stepped into the breach and began producing large quantities of counterfeit groats. <laughs> so this wasn't, they weren't asked to do this, they just did it. Yeah, they just, <laughs> the, they started forging currency in massive numbers, to the point where the term brummagem became slang for cheap and shoddy knockoff. <laughs> Wait, so, <laughs> this later, so, so Birmingham was like the China of the 1650s. They, they were making what people needed. This, <laughs> this term Brummingham later evolved into the term brummy to describe a native of the city. Oh, wow. So brummy is actually an insult. That's I think it brilliant. started out that way, and then it was kind of work taking so the power it, of that word back. It's a Tory Whig scenario. Yeah. Young William Chaloner decided that there was both literally and figuratively more money in counterfeiting than in nail production, and he quickly became a skilled forger of Birmingham groats. Good for him. Enterprising. Mm. This work kept William happy until he experienced a midlife crisis in his <laughs> 30s. So he spent 20, well, no, 15 years... Forging groats. Forging groats in Birmingham. Perfectly happy. Birmingham was the place to be. Was, <laughs> it's just like, so there was basically a whole economy where everybody nudge, nudge, wink, wink, knew you were paying with counterfeit coins, but just got on with it anyway. Because yeah. he'd have had, like, presumably, he'd make a fake coin. He'd then go and buy some metal with the fake <laughs> coins. And everybody knew because it was him making it. <laughs> Shadow economies are really weird. Ironically, if you want to buy a Birmingham groat today, mm. like a counterfeit groat, it's worth quite a lot of money. So is that because like eventually a more competent government than Charles II's arrived and started destroying the fake ones? We're going to see. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, it's not the last time he tries to forge things. <laughs> so he had a midlife crisis in his 30s. Cool. And he decided Well, not cool. <laughs> he decided he was going to walk from Birmingham to London and to try and go straight. Hmm. And by try and go straight, I mean I'm loosely using that term. Not not quite as bad as a forger, but he's still open to some well, under, underhand his, business. Yeah, his first uh, enterprise was he turned his skills in mm. you know nail making and general metal craft. Mm. He tried to start producing tin watches. Don't you need to like know how the mechanism works? Well, these are, these are quite big. You know, when I say tin watches, it's kind of like a tin clock. So like the oh, whole, right, 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 okay. Uh, but his... Oh, my God, are you telling me that in, like, the 1650s, everyone was walking around like 90s cliché rappers with giant clocks on their necks? No, 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 because these were even better. <gasps> these had dildos hidden inside. <laughs> what? Yes, he, he made tin clocks <gasps> with concealed dildos inside. <laughs> it was, was, like, fuck the time a big expression or something? <laughs> Well, all I know is Oliver Cromwell was dead and the country was trying to start having fun again, but obviously wasn't quite sure how. <laughs> We've been too Puritan for too long. Yeah. What are we going to do with cocks? Cocks on everything. Cocks on clocks. It rhymes. It's funny. So he did that for a while. It's a good, it's a good side hustle if you're going to go for something. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you here. I once read an article 
um, it was a comedy article. It was called The Five Pimpingest Historical Figures. This was back in the day when it was acceptable to like mockingly enjoy pimp culture. So like 2003, probably. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Charles II came second on that list because, to be frank, he was ridiculously pimping. Not a great king, not, not a great leader. Not but really. man, was he pimp. <laughs> so... I, and and I, like, the reason he was so pimp was that he made, like, basically shagging the entire country's way of life while he was the king. But I, I didn't have if any concept. If you didn't, couldn't even check the time without needing... A dildo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't have any concept of how... Like, I just... I read that line when I was, like... How old would I have been? Like, 15? I went, <laughs> that's funny. And then... I, 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 like, this is the society. Yeah, yeah like, 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 seeing the reality of that that like actually laid out in societal context is just wow <laughs> so he made these for a while and then he thought this isn't this isn't good work this doesn't make me feel clean so he changed careers and he started uh, selling himself as a soothsayer <laughs> <laughs> and he would charge money to tell the people men and women of london various vague statements about themselves he was basically a human fortune cookie for a while so like every single medium that has ever existed yeah he just carried on being a fraud for him it worked out because he managed to get a uh, get married to a woman uh, who he met (laughs) i don't think back in the day they'd have allowed him to marry anyone else (laughs) (laughs) well he met her through the soothsaying and i'm assuming his his thing was you will meet the love of your life on February 12th. <laughs> and then he ran around the corner and was like, hey, baby. <laughs> well, she was called Catherine. And they got married at a church called St. Catherine's. That's quite a late marriage, actually, isn't it? If you went to London uh, yeah, in his 30s. 30s yeah. for, for the time. Not, not, it's not a late marriage for nowadays. But So he's married. He's living in London. He's, he's happy. saying his soothes. Yeah, he's, he's done well. But as the 1690s rolled around... England was under new management following the Glorious Revolution. Yeah, Dutch people. And the financial system of the country was completely screwed. (laughs) (laughs) What have we done? Well, we've done nothing but whore for 20 years. And then we had a little bit of an argy-bargy about Catholicism again. And then we got in the Dutch. (laughs) Yeah, in part, it was because of the money that King Charles and James had squandered. That's that's fair comment. They did spend a lot of money on things they didn't really need to spend money on. Giant navy. Also, there was the slight problem that the face value of British silver coins was lower than the wholesale value of the raw silver on the continent. Wow, that's so. So literally, nobody trusted us. Well, what it meant was we were the lying bastards of Europe. Hey, how things come around again, eh? (laughs) If you were a merchant or someone who could get hold of a lot of silver coinage, it was worth your while to ship it to the continent and sell it as raw silver to be melted down because you would make a massive profit. Or even to just smelt it into bars in your local smithy and ship it off. Yeah, you you could do that. Jesus Christ. And you would make a massive profit, so... That's not a good thing for your currency to be valued at less than the raw materials. I'm of the starting currency. to see why paper money started to be the thing in the 1700s. <laughs> oh, it did not have a good start. But <laughs> William made a decision at that point, seeing the profits that could be made, to mm. abandon his wife and children because like, he had children at this point. This guy's a dick. and to get back into the forging game. <laughs> Why did he have to abandon his wife and children, though? Well, his decision may have also been influenced by the fact that he was a suspect in a robbery and he had to flee to avoid capture. Oh. So he, when I say he'd gone straight in London... What you meant was he became a forger and then 
tried to rob people. Oh no, he never forged no, to this point in London. No, okay. He, Liar. He, he, <laughs> he sold dildo clocks. He told people vague fortunes, and apparently he was engaged in some robbery on the side of that. Because who knew that the Soothsayer and dildo clocks wouldn't pay you? No, I'm not buying this going slightly straight. I, I still think that forging groats was probably more honest than what he was doing. Well, again, to argue against the fact that he'd ever gone straight, he quickly gathered a crew together, <laughs> <laughs> including, <laughs> including a goldsmith called Patrick Coffrey a master engraver called Thomas Taylor, and a common crook called Thomas Holloway, who, along with his wife, would circulate the counterfeit, coin, the counterfeit coins amongst the criminals See, of London. Thomas Holloway managed to stay married. What's, what's up with William? Why do you have to abandon his wife and kids? Because, I, mean, I mean, he sounds like a piece of shit, so they were probably better off without him. But, mm. but like, he didn't have to abandon them. That was just his dick choice. The thing is, you've got to be upfront about your criminality, I think, with with your potential spouse at the start. Oh, yeah, I suppose if she thought he was a genuine soothsayer, yeah. she might not have. Maybe she kicked him out. Well, good for her. I hope she got some, like, proto-feminine independence. Although, given that, I assume they dropped out of history, never hear from them uh, again. Yeah, so this is a single older mother mm. with at least two children we're, who, we're talking, we're who talking, have been completely dependent upon William Challoner's money. We're talking gin and death here, aren't we? are talking probably gin and death. I like. We can make up a story. She managed to pull through, and she bought a chain of small salons, mm. which she had her kids working because you could do that at the time. Well. So they started off <laughs> this gang of criminals forging silver French pistoles in 1691. So they made so silver plated French pistoles rather than solid silver ones. Is that a French, is that a type of French coin? Yeah. Right. It's worth about seventeen shillings. So it's not bad. Imperial currency means nothing to me because it means nothing to anyone. No one ever understood that system. Okay, but they were making profit. That's the main thing. Okay. Um, but a year later, 1692, Chaloner convinced the other members of the gang that they should forge something worth a bit more. Okay. So they went for a guinea, which is worth 30 shillings apiece. Is a guinea's worth more than pounds or less than pounds? I think they were worth more than pounds. See, this is where the system makes no sense. When when the pound stops being the top coin, you, you just you've ruined it. Well, all I know is guineas were worth almost double the pistoles. Yeah. So after one year, he got bored with the amounts of profits he was making and decided to double it. This sounds like an idiot because when, you, when you're doing criminal enterprises with, with safe and regular profits, yeah. you should keep that going. Get a new crew and do it separately so that if the new crew fails, you can fall back on the old crew. Fool. See that that's too many that's too many balls in the air for William. <laughs> so there was a slight wrinkle with the change in, in strategy when a man called William Blackfoot was caught circulating the fake guineas. And he tried to buy his freedom by giving up Chaloner. Ooh. Yeah. But Chaloner simply left town until Blackford was hung. <laughs> and then and came then, back. And then returned to London and immediately bought a big house in Knightsbridge. Amazing. So he was it was William Challoner, and can you produce this man? No, I think he's gone on his holidays. Oh, well. Um, just, just this back in the day was yeah. about as effective as it is nowadays. <laughs> you'll, you'll see. Justice, justice, the wheels of justice turn slowly in this story. In a mysterious way. But they do turn. <laughs> so he took a quick break from the world of currency in 1693 to work for the government. <laughs> what? As a spy against the Catholic Jacobites. Oh no! Is this a Titus Oates scenario where, like, you just spouted a load of bullshit and got hired for it? Well, what he did 
is he went. Uh, you're not saying no. He went. He went and found four Jacobites. Yeah. So he actually did know some. He knew some. It wasn't illegal to be a Jacobite. It was illegal to be, you know, trying to restore. The, yeah. 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 Was, you know, it was about. Well, are you going to try and overthrow the Dutch king? This would have been the first Jacobite rebellion, not this. Well, this Bonnie is... Prince Charlie was later, wasn't he? This one's the first one. Mm. Right. So, um, yeah, he he decided he would work as a spy. So he, he found four Jacobites who weren't doing anything particularly. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry to keep constantly cutting across, although some, you could argue that's somewhat my role. But <laughs> um, you've got it. Like, things were unquestionably horrible back then for, for the vast majority of people. Oh, yeah. But you've got to admire the amount of social mobility that you had outside of the nobility. Like, this is a man who's got no backstory in anything. And he just goes one day, I'm going to be a spy. And then he was one. Like, you couldn't do that today. If I said, I'm going to be a spy, my best option would be to, like, approach the Chinese consulate and try not to get murdered. <laughs> well... well- I'll leave you to think if he was actually a spy. Right. So he, he met four people who, had, uh, they were Jacobites. They, they made no bones about the fact. Mm-hmm. And he convinced them to print fresh copies of James II's declaration, which was uh, a document that was illegal. Yeah. So it's basically stating his claim to the throne and that he should be restored. Mm-hmm. Then when they were in pres- possession of the documents that he had paid to have printed, yeah. he had them arrested for treason. Did he get a reward for this? They were hung, all four of them were hung, for being in possession of a copy of something that Chaloner had both um, suggested they make and paid for the production of. They were hung and he was given £1,000 as a reward. What a dickhead. Well, okay, so he wasn't a spy, he was just an arsehole. Well, it only took him a year and then he was back (laughs) to his normal gig. So, 1694, a new year and a new opportunity. So... Following an embarrassing defeat to the French Navy during the Battle of Beachy Head, William of Orange, not our William, decided he needed to fund a massive boat building program. Mm. And in order to raise the 1.2 million, the government established the Bank of England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, hang on. William of Orange was our William, wasn't? It? Oh no, sorry, not our William in terms of the William of the story. Yes. So he established the Bank of England in order that we would not be beaten by the French again. Good, solid reasons for doing things. Investors agreed to provide bullion in return for banknotes that the government would honour. That's the invention of paper money in the West. They had it in China for a while. There you go. William took advantage of this in two ways. Firstly, he started attacking the Royal Mint for the financial problems of the country, issuing pamphlets across um, the country, accusing, well, across the country, across London, um, accusing the Mint of being corrupt and describing in detail how he would tackle the problem of forged coins. He's, he's, He's... He's Nigel Farage. Isn't he? he received the backing of several high-profile politicians and was even invited to talk in front of the Privy Council on the issue. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So he was positioning himself. Uh, to add weight to his claims, he named a number of forgers who had benefited directly from the corruption at the Mint. This included people he personally worked with and one of his own aliases. Oh, my God. So he named himself as someone who personally benefited from the corruption at the mint. The thing that's flabbergasting me is that nothing has changed. (laughs) This exact thing happened. Like, it happened... This is is the story of Brexit, but it's about fake money instead of fake politics. Well... 
oh my god we've we've advanced absolutely nowhere in no, no, 350 no. years it's okay because it didn't work he'd hoped to be given a high ranking oh, position no, so, no it's not okay we've gone backwards okay <laughs> Well, William had hoped to be given a high-ranking position in the Royal Mint, allowing even more opportunities for counterfeiting um, and profits. But this plan didn't work because the Royal Mint instead decided that it would begin its own investigations into the forging, using all the helpful details that William Challoner had given them. So finally one person did their actual job. But the second way he was going to take advantage. He immediately began forging the new £100 banknotes issued by the Bank of England. Aim high. Aim high. (laughs) He secured a stock of the special marble paper and was able to produce notes for two months before he was caught. But amazingly... This is the first time he's actually been caught for it, isn't it? Yes, he was caught. But, technically speaking... Hmm. It wasn't a crime. Yes. Oh my God. Forging banknotes was not made a felony in England until 1697. Oh, so, because he got in there so quickly, the law had not caught up with it. Ain't that always the way. But Challoner, he was he was gracious in defeat. He handed over his stock of marble paper, and mm. as a as a little you know good try, he offered to provide evidence of a massive fraud. <laughs> he grasped. <laughs> he, he, Why would you believe him? Well, <laughs> oh my God. He grasped on a man called Aubrey Price, who had been removing ink from bank-issued cheques and inserting new, rather larger amounts to those cheques. <laughs> now, Challoner knew about this because Challoner had developed the liquid that removed the ink and had taught Aubrey specifically how to use it. Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's just like, okay, and that's, Aub- not, that's not as dumb as it sounds. It's just somebody turning grass, it happens. So. Yeah, and although forging banknotes was not illegal or yeah. a felony at that time, Forging checks was, yeah. You, you bet it was. <laughs> so Aubrey was sentenced to death and he was hung at Tyburn Wait. on the 22nd of June, 1698. Is that the fifth person he's had killed? Uh, indirectly. Indirectly, I think it is the sixth. Because there were the four Jacobites. Hmm. There was the other guy who was hung because William skipped town. Oh, and now yeah. there's this guy. So this is the sixth person. Oh, and we can chuck in his wife and children who probably died in poverty. Yeah. Okay, well, they're they're questionable. So it's anywhere between six and nine at the moment. Challoner received a formal thank you from the Bank of England, a reward of £200, and was also allowed to keep all of the profits that he made from the banknote scam. Right, so on on his tally is technically bankrupt a few times because he's had to skip town, start over a few times. But on the plus side, £1,200 total in reward money Big house in Knightsbridge and all the profits from his last and presumably most profitable scam. Yeah, that was definitely his most profitable scam so far. Plus, he would have made loads of money from the guineas. He would have made loads of money from the pistols. It's just that he decided to move on to bigger and better. He genuinely is the Nigel Farage Mm. of his day. Oh, well, don't worry. Because the Royal Mint hadn't given up on investigating. And their investigations had quickly dialed in on Challoner. Wasn't Isaac Newman in charge of the Royal Mint? Well, in 1696... They had hired a notorious gumshoe. <laughs> no, we had gumshoes in sixteen. To build a watertight case against Challoner. Amazing. The famed detective, yeah. Sir Isaac Newton. Yes! Yeah, it's Sir Isaac. I love Sir Isaac Newton. He was a complete, absolute, utter weirdo, but... I mean, basically, he was just super autistic, but he was so clever he yeah. got away with it. He was, he was, doing, he was doing this job... Hmm. 
at the same time as overseeing the complete recoining of the country. Yeah, but that's that's the nature of genius. He was unstoppable. <laughs> yeah, so he the job that Chaloner had wanted of creating unforgeable coins and banknotes that he would then know how to forge, hmm. they instead gave to somebody like Sir Isaac Newton, who was yet yeah, probably autistic. He Famously was, incapable of lying. Yeah, he was... Um, uh, a member of parliament for many years he's only on record as actually speaking in the houses of parliament once yeah. and he was asking them if they could shut a window well i mean so he he is a, an enigma of a man yeah but that that, that tracks with what i said he was famously incapable of lying mm. somebody who can't lie has almost nothing to say in the house of commons <laughs> well the two men had actually met several times and newton had tried to bring a case against Chaloner in 1697 but this fell apart because Chaloner paid the main witness £20 to piss off to Scotland <laughs> and to stay there for the duration of the trial. And that was apparently enough. The British courts were terrible. Yeah. Can you produce this witness? No, he's in Inverness. Well, we can't oh, wait for him to get back from Inverness. He might we'll as well just, be on the fucking moon. <laughs> we'll just, just, oh, go away. We've had enough. It's judge's brandy time now. Well, you know, I mean... It, Chaloner, he's learned basically that the legal system can't touch you if you can make sure that at least one of the moving parts of a trial doesn't attend the trial. Because apparently, in that day and age, if everyone didn't turn up on the same yeah. day, it was a wash. I, I, I feel, I feel like Chaloner might have been one of the reasons that eventually somebody went. You know what we need is a police force. <laughs> but, but I, the other thing that keeps that's just stuck in my head right now is I can't even imagine. How frustrating daily existence must have been for Isaac Newton. He's a man who's like literally so clever he can understand how the world works, like on a fundamental level, and he can do advanced monetary policy, and he can do like forensic case building based on ledgers and stuff. He's possibly the most bona fide genius that Britain has ever produced, right up until Stephen Hawking turned up. I never saw Stephen Hawking take down a, a coin forger. No, but you don't know he didn't. Oh, I don't know he didn't. That's true. But, New- but how frustrating must Newton have been in like in like, like all these people are just idiots. He he was a man who should have been born in 1970, born 200, no, 300 years too early. Well, no, because he was bested in this case by oh. Chaloner sending someone to Scotland, but he learned his lesson, mm-hmm. and he spent the next two years rounding up witnesses, covering the entire span of Chaloner's career in London. So he wasn't going to let one go. Chaloner's willingness to throw others under the bus, (laughs) as we've seen numerous times through this story... Now backfired on him. (laughs) There were quite a few people who were willing Hmm. to to return the favour. My boy boy Isaac's got this locked down. In 1699, Newton's case was ready, and he had Chaloner arrested and placed in Newgate to wait trial at the Old Bailey. I'd be amazed if Chaloner gets up on his own. On the one hand, a known forger who we've caught forging multiple times. On the other hand, the genius who saved the country. It almost never happened oh, because Jesus Chaloner had gotten wind that the net was closing in on him and he'd been planning to leave the country within the month to go and forge money on a boat off the coast of Spain. <laughs> so, <laughs> to the point where... He just couldn't stop for... I just love faking things. I can't stop. <laughs> he'd bought the boat... He was ready to go. It was like it was that like big crumbopulous. <laughs> oh boy, here I go forging again. <laughs> he was so close because if he'd gone hmm. on that boat, yeah, there was no that such was thing it. as international yeah. treaties or jurisdictions. He'd have been gone. Stuff, so 
But what would be the point? Like, this is where this is where like the criminal mindset ultimately falls down because at the end of the day, you might be making giant profits. He's stuck on a fucking boat. Where's he going? I'm guessing to the continent. <laughs> but he wanted to. You said he wanted to stay on the boat forging. Yeah, yeah. Until he had enough money to go, and then. Oh right, okay. You oh, know, and then okay. he'd go back well, to the boat stupid. when he needed more money. Maybe I'm the stupid one. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Well, I, I wouldn't call you stupid. Differently. Differently abled. abled. <laughs> <laughs> so, prior to the trial, Chaloner needed a strategy. Because it seems like it's quite a, an airtight case here. <laughs> so, he tried pretending to go mad. Last resort of a desperate man. And absolutely no one bought it. Epic. So when his trial started on the, March the 3rd... <laughs> well, like, just just as a side note, his the person bringing the case was somebody who like famously never washed, even in a time when nobody washed. Like, Newton was famous for stinking. So, you know, like, you'd have to go a long way to convince people you were mad when the guy everybody respected enough to, to bring a case against you and run the Royal Mint <laughs> was like, oh, God, Isaac's here again. <laughs> Get out, run. <laughs> I'm hoping he didn't try and perform the arrest himself because <laughs> that's giving him an unfair advantage there, William. It's like, oh, God. It <laughs> it's Newton. <laughs> run. <laughs> no, drop. Drop the plates. Just run. Run. <laughs> so he'll burn, the, he'll burn the evidence off them as he walks past anyway. <laughs> he tried going mad. Didn't work. It didn't stick. Yeah. No one believed it. So when the trial started, he tried a different tack. And on March the 3rd, he began insulting absolutely everyone involved, swearing like a trooper. He refused to be quiet. Any witness that stood up, he would scream insults at. What? Like, how's that a plan? That's just idiocy. It's a plan. Did it work? Well, Newton fielded eight <laughs> witnesses that spanned Challoner's career. So Catherine Coffrey, wife of the goldsmith, uh-huh. declared she had seen him personally coining the French pistols. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Holloway declared how Challoner had bribed her husband, the, uh, the coiner Thomas Holloway, to go to Scotland to avoid giving evidence in the previous trial. Mm-hmm. Thomas Taylor, the engraver in the major coining conspiracy, the the Guineas. Yeah. Uh, Catherine Carter was there, the wife of Thomas Carter, who had twice previously been named and blamed by William Challoner. <laughs> Revenge is a dish best yeah. served cold. <laughs> and to be fair to them, they had nothing but praise for his skills as a forger. <laughs> they, they were saying he is he the is the worst thing. <laughs> he is the best at this. Only he could produce such good forgeries in such quantity. He's a genius. <laughs> he is. He's, he's the Michelangelo of. He's the Isaac Newton of forgery. <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, a defence that consisted of claiming that half the population of London at this stage were lying <laughs> didn't work, and William uh, was sentenced to death. I mean. Death for forgery has always felt like a bit of an overkill, but in this specific case, and I'm not generally, I'm not saying I'd bring it back now. I'm just saying for the time, we're talking about somebody who directly caused six six people to die mm. through his lies about his forgery. Mm. Um, the first one was a forger, so I'm not saying it was right to kill him, but it was probably going to happen to him anyway. Mm. The last four were directly goaded into it. And then also the unforg- truly unforgivable in every way one was the wife and child he abandoned to poverty mm. in a time when poverty meant horrendous death. Mm. So I'm not, you know, I'm not an eye for an eye kind of person. I believe in restorative justice. But for the time, it's probably about time he got hung. <laughs> mm, well, 
he he wasn't willing to give up. So he wrote <laughs> letters to Isaac Newton pleading for his life. Come on, Newton, stay the course. Or be better than your time and impress me again. Uh, Newton didn't bother to reply to any of them. <laughs> and on March 22nd, 1699, in the rain, he was, he was hung. And weirdly for the time, hmm. he was stone cold sober. He refused any alcohol. Because normally when people are being hung at Tyburn Gallows... Oh, they stopped at every pub on the way. Yeah. I know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. Would, they would allow them to drink as much hmm. as they could. And most of the people who were hung there were so shit-faced at the point of their death that they weren't fully aware of what was going yeah, on, yeah, which yeah. is kind not of much a mercy, of a mercy, yeah, but it's yeah. something. Because the last pub was called The Hanging Tree, wasn't mm. it? Well, no, Tyburn Gallows was called The Hanging Tree. Right. Although, to be honest, if you're going to monetize a pub, yeah, you're going to have the <laughs> one across the road called The Hanging Tree. Um, so, yeah, he, he died stone-cold sober. Wow. Um, kind of went out like a boss. You've got to respect that, I suppose. Uh, apparently not. Oh. He, he did not... Um, I mean, there's there's no such thing, as far as I'm concerned, as bravery when it comes to Execution. being executed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he disgraced himself. He didn't. He didn't cover himself in glory at that point. Did he cover himself in poo and wee? He covered himself in vomit. <laughs> he covered himself in diarrhea, and he covered himself in his own bitter tears, where he was still swearing blind that everyone was lying, and that they were all just jealous of him, and that this was all an unfair conspiracy. Jesus. But I don't want to leave you on a downer. So would you like a fun fact uh, at the end of this story? That's not a downer. My hero Isaac Newton comes out of this really quite well. <laughs> I'm about... choosing to interpret this as a story about how Isaac Newton came in and cleaned up a big mess. <laughs> Damn. Well, okay. Let's have you... a fun fact. Go on. Fact. Would you like an additional fact? I won't call it fun. I would also like an additional fact. Another forger by mm. the name of Catherine Murphy. Oh, yeah became the last person in England to be officially sentenced to being burned at the stake. Wow. And that For happened, forgery? Yeah, and that happened in March 1789, almost 90 years to the day after Challoner's execution. Mm. Um, when I say burnt at the stake, they stood her on a box next to the stake with mm. her hands tied behind her back and her noose around her neck. And just before they um, lit the kindling they took the box away because they didn't want the box to burn which was a very nice sort of we're not actually hanging you but this is a loophole we can use so that we don't actually have to watch you burn horribly burn to death to death wow so so like you know they hadn't quite got to the point of realizing that state sanctioned murder is bad but they had realized that burning someone was horrendous oh this was 90 so years after that so that's improvement i mean that's good we're talking, you know, this is, we're talking... It's a brutal age. 1789. Yeah, it's a brutal age. 1789? Pretty brutal age, man. I, I think of that as yesterday. Yeah, what? What were you doing yesterday? Because <laughs> I wasn't subjugating the, the Native Americans. <laughs> were you? <laughs> no, it was, the, it was the weekend. It was my day off. <laughs> so there you go. That is William Challoner, the most successful forger we have ever produced. Wow, I mean, I suppose that, like... The, the lesson that I'm taking from this is it takes a genius to stop a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaac Newton, many strings to his genius bow, but I suppose, again, that's the nature of... Uh, uh, what's what's the word? It's um, He's a polymath. Polymath, mm-hmm. that's the one. That's the nature of polymath geniuses. Um, Shalinor was unquestionably clever, but completely amoral. And, oh, God, yeah. 
Um, no. I'm, I'm very comfortable describing him as the Nigel Farage of his day, which I'm assuming you will cut. No, no. I mean, there's definitely a feeling that there's a narcissistic personality uh, mm. in there mm. with Chaloner. That's, a, that's exactly what it is. I just wonder if his parents back on the outskirts of Birmingham ever kind of, you know, followed his career. And if, if that last day they turned up in London... I mean, it's unlikely. <laughs> and just stood there. What would be great is if the last thing he saw was his wife and two grown kids and they were in all the finery. <laughs> like she, she, she found a really forgiving and loving uh, um, second husband who'd been a, a wonderful stepfather to these children who'd done everything the right way. Like They'd started off small, he'd opened a, a tavern, and it had grown into this range of highway inns and stuff. Until eventually they owned the hanging inn across from Tyburn Gallows <laughs> and were able to sit in an upstairs window and just watch silently. And not tell the children. Not tell the children who it distress. is, yeah. yeah. Just watch, because it's the it's the entertainment. Ah, oh, so you know we've looped back round. And you've given me a nice story that I could I want to believe. It's not true, but I, I, I want to believe it. The the rare these nice <laughs> stories. Just just yeah, roll with it. Yeah, enjoy them when they come. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.